Hi, I'm MC Jessie. 大家好，读你听二点零，今日继续读 Girl Disadvantage 嘅 Don Quixote， 读到第三十六节下。呢节嘅名叫做 Which treats of more curious instance that occurred at the inn？ 咁说明咗咧 ，Don Quixote 同众人依然都系一女管入面。咁上一回呢，加入咗 Don Quixote 同埋 Sancho 佢哋嘅一个小插曲，佢哋喺阁楼一个呢就梦游。梦游正发作，喺度乱咁挥，乱咁劈，就以为自己咧就喺度击杀巨人。咁啊 ，Sancho 咧就啲埋一份，仲话自己亲眼目击当桥一提斩杀巨人啦。咁实际上咧，佢哋只系打烂咗旅馆入面嘅一啲酒樽皮啊，啲嘢，算系作者故意加插入去咧，提醒翻读者们，喂，我哋嘅主角都系当桥一提啊。咁当然啦。读者最想嘅都系知道三角恋关系嘅结果嘅啫，咁又再一连串嘅阴差阳错啦。最尾咧就系 Camilla 嘅仆人 Leonella 实在系东窗事发啦，太多同佢嘅情人蜜会啦，同佢丈夫蜜会啦，咁啊俾 Anselmo 识破咗，佢变咗咧 Anselmo 咧就知道晒成件事，就系咁简单嘅啫，就突破咗一个盲肠。导致到咧，沙姆咧就要、呃、追究啦，肇事者 Camilla 同 Lothario， 咁就两个要私奔，咁但系实际上系冇嘅。阿 Lothario 咧将 Camilla 安排在修道院啦，然之后自己冇几耐就出征打仗啦，避开咗沙姆。咁人沙姆知道咗佢哋嘅下落之后咧，佢自己咧亦都唔单止失去咗佢嘅仆人啦，失去咗佢妻子啊，失去咗最好朋友啦，仲失去咗自己嘅星誉啊，孙誉。佢个信念，於是乎咧就喺朋友屋企郁郁自终啦吓，转眼即逝。咁 Lothario 咧战场上都好快就起身啦，战死沙场啦，剩翻 Camilla 嚟，亦都冇几耐啦，细细。好，我哋睇下呢个故事讲完之后啦，当桥一提众人喺旅馆入面发生咩事先，跟住我哋交俾 Costa 同大家读嚟听。Just at that instant, the landlord, who was standing at the gate of the inn, exclaimed. Here comes a fine troop of guests. If they stop here, we may say rejoice. What are they? said Cardenio. Four men, said the landlord, riding with a horsewoman, with lances and bucklers, and all with black veils. And with them there is a woman in white on a side saddle, whose face is also veiled, and two attendants on foot. Are they very near? said the curate. So near, answered the landlord, that here they come. Hearing this, Dorothea covered her face, and Cardenio retreated into Don Quixote's room. And they hardly had time to do so before the whole party the host had described entered the inn, and the four that were on horseback, who were of high-bred appearance and bearing, dismounted and came forward to take down the woman who rode on the side saddle. And one of them, taking her in the arms, placed her in a chair that stood at the entrance of the room where Cardenio had hidden himself. All this time, neither she nor they had removed their veils or spoken a word. Only on sitting down on a chair, the woman gave a deep sigh and let her arms fall like one that was ill and weak. The attendants on foot then led the horses away to the stable. Observing this, the curate, curious to know who these people in such a dress and preserving such silence were, went to where the servants were standing and put the question to one of them, who answered them, "Faith, sir." I cannot tell you who they are. I only know they seem to be people of distinction, particularly he who advanced to take the lady you saw in his arms, 
And I say so because all the rest show him respect, and nothing is done except what he directs and orders. And the lady, who is she? Asked the curate. And that I cannot tell you either, said the servant, for I have not seen her face all the way. I have indeed heard her sigh many times and utter such groans that she seems to be given up the ghost every time. But it is no wonder if we do not know more than we have told you, as my comrade and I have only been in their company two days. For having met us on the road, they begged and persuaded us to accompany them to Andalusia, promising to pay as well. And have you heard any of them called by his name? Asked the curate. No, indeed, replied the servant. They all preserve a marvellous silence on the road, for not a sound is to be heard among them except the poor lady's sighs and sobs, which make us pity her, and we feel sure that wherever it is she is going, it is against her will. And as far as one can judge from her dress, she is a nun, or what is more likely, about to become one. And perhaps it is because taking the vows is not of her own free will that she is so unhappy as she seems to be. That may well be," said the curate. And leaving them, he returned to where Dorothea was, who, hearing the veiled lady's sigh, moved by natural compassion, drew near to her and said, "What are you suffering from, Signora? If it be anything that women are accustomed and know how to relieve." I offer you my services with all my heart. To this, the unhappy lady made no reply, and though Dorothea repeated her offers more earnestly, she still kept silence until the gentleman with the veil, who the servant said was obeyed by the rest, approached and said to Dorothea, "Do not give yourself the trouble, Signora, of making any offers to that woman, for it is her way to give no thanks for anything that is done for her, and do not try to make her answer unless you want to hear some lie from her lips." I have never told a lie," was the immediate reply of her who had been silent until now. On the contrary, it is because I am so truthful and so ignorant of lying devices that I am now in this miserable condition. And this I call you yourself to witness, for it is my unstained truth that has made you false and a liar. Cardenio heard these words clearly and distinctly, being quite close to the speaker, for there was only the door of Don Quixote's room between them, and the instant he did so. Uttering a loud exclamation, he cried, "Good God! What is this I hear? What voice is this that has reached my ears?" Startled at the voice, the lady turned her head, and not seeing the speaker, she stood up and attempted to enter the room. Observing which, the gentleman held her back, preventing her from moving a step. In her agitation and sudden movement, the silk with which she had covered her face fell off and disclosed a countenance of incomparable and marvellous beauty, but pale and terrified. For she kept turning her eyes everywhere she could direct her gaze, with an eagerness that made her look as if she had lost her senses, and so marked that it excited the pity of Dorothea and all who beheld her, though they knew not what caused it. The gentleman grasped her firmly by the shoulders, and being so fully occupied with holding her back, he was unable to put a hand to his veil, which was falling off, as it did at length entirely. And Dorothea, who was holding the lady in her arms, raising her eyes, saw that he who likewise held her was her husband, Don Fernando. The instant she recognized him, with a prolonged plaintive cry drawn from the depths of her heart, she fell backwards fainting. And but for the barber being close by to watch her in his arms, she would have fallen completely to the ground. The curate at once hastened to uncover her face and threw water on it. And as she did so, Don Fernando. For he, it was who held the other in his arms, recognized her and stood as if deaf-stricken by the sight. Not, however, relaxing his grasp on Lucinda, 
for it was she that was struggling to release herself from his hold, having recognized Cardenio by his voice, as he had recognized her. Cardenio also heard Dorothea's cry as she fell fainting, and imagining that it came from his Lucinda, burst forth in terror from the room, and the first thing he saw was Don Fernando with Lucinda in his arms. Don Fernando, too, knew Cardenio at once, and all three, Lucinda, Cardenio, and Dorothea, stood in silent amazement, scarcely knowing what had happened to them. They gazed at one another without speaking, Dorothea at Don Fernando, Don Fernando at Cardenio, Cardenio at Lucinda, and Lucinda at Cardenio. The first to break silence was Lucinda, who thus addressed Don Fernando, Leave me, Signor Don Fernando, for the sake of what you owe to yourself. If no other reason will induce you, leave me to cling to the wall which I am the eye, to the support from which neither your importunities, nor your threats, nor your promises, nor your gifts have been able to detach me. See how heaven, by way strange and hidden from our sight, has brought me face to face with my true husband. And well you know by dear born experience that death alone will be able to efface him from my memory. May this plain declaration then lead you, as you can do nothing else, to turn your love into rage, your affection into resentment, and so to take my life. For if I yield it up in the presence of my beloved husband and count it well bestowed, it may be by my death he will be convinced that I kept my faith to him to the last moment of life. Meanwhile, Dorothy had come to herself, and had heard Lucinda's words, by means of which she defined who she was. But seeing that Don Fernando did not yet release her or reply to her, summoning up her resolution as well as she could, she rose and knelt at his feet, and with a flood of bright and touching tears addressed him thus, If, my lord, the beams of that sun that thou holdest eclipsed in thine arms did not dazzle and rob thine eyes of sight, thou wouldst have seen by this time that she who kneels at thy feet is, so long as thou wilt have it so, the unhappy and unfortunate Dorothea. I am that lowly peasant girl whom thou in thy goodness or for thy pleasure wouldst raise high enough to call herself thine. I am she who in the seclusion of innocence led the contented life until at the voice of thy opportunity and thy true and tender passion. As it seemed, she opened the gates of her modesty and surrendered to thee the keys of her liberty that give received by thee but thanklessly as is clearly shown by my forced retreat to the place where thou dost find me, and by thy appearance under the circumstances in which I see thee. Nevertheless, I would not have thee suppose that I have come here driven by my shame. It is only grief and sorrow at seeing myself forgotten by thee that have led me. It was thy will to make me thine, and thou didst so follow thy will, that now, even though thou repentest, thou canst not help being mine. Bethink thee, my lord, the unsurpassable affection I bear thee may compensate for the beauty and noble birth for which thou wouldst desert me. Thou canst not be the fair Lathinda's because thou art mine, nor can she be thine because she is Cardenio's. And it will be easier, remember, to bend thy will to love one who adores thee, than to lead one to love thee who abhors thee now. Thou dost address thyself to my simplicity, thou didst lay siege to my virtue, Thou wert not ignorant of my station. Thou dost thou know how I yielded wholly to thy will. There is no ground or reason for thee to plead deception. And if it be so, as it is, and if thou art a Christian as thou art a gentleman, why dost thou by such subterfuges put off making me as happy at last as thou didst at first? 
And if thou wilt not have me for what I am, thy true and lawful wife, at least take and accept me as thy slave. For so long as I am thine, I will count myself happy and fortunate. Do not by deserting me let my shame become the talk of the gossips in the streets. Make not the old age of my parents miserable. For the loyal services they, as faithful vassals, have ever rendered thine, are not deserving of such a return. And if thou thinkest it will debase thy blood to mingle it with mine, reflect that there is little or no nobility in the world that has not travelled the same road, and that in illustrious lineages it is not the woman's blood that is of account. And moreover, that true nobility consists in virtue. And if thou art wanting in that, refusing me what injustice thou owest me, then even I have higher claims, nobility than thine. To make an end, Signor, these are my last words to thee: Whether thou wilt or wilt not, I am thy wife. Witness thy words, which must not and ought not to be false. If thou dost pride thyself on that for want of which thou scornest me, witness the pledge which thou didst give me, and witness heaven. Which thou thyself didst call to witness the promise thou hadst made, and if all this fail, thy own conscience will not fail to lift up its silent voice in the midst of all thy gaiety, and vindicate the truth of what I say, and mar thy highest pleasure and enjoyment. All this and more, the injured Dorothea delivered with such earnest feeling and such tears that all present. Even though who came with Don Fernando were constrained to join her in them, Don Fernando listened to her without replying until, ceasing to speak, she gave way to such sobs and sighs that it must have been a heart of brass that was not softened by the sight of so great sorrow. The thinder stood regarding her with no less compassion for her sufferings than an admiration for her intelligence and beauty, and would have gone to her to say some words of comfort to her. But was prevented by Don Fernando's grasp, which held her fast. He, overwhelmed with confusion and astonishment, after regarding Dorothea for some moments with a fixed gaze, opened his arms and, releasing the thinder, exclaimed, "Thou hast conquered, fair Dorothea! Thou hast conquered! For it is impossible to have the heart to deny the united force of so many troops." The thinder, in her feebleness, was on the point of falling to the ground when Don Fernando released her, but Cardenio, who stood near, Having retreated behind Don Fernando to escape recognition, casting fear aside and regardless of what might happen, ran forward to support her, and said as he clasped her in his arms, "If heaven in its compassion is willing to let thee rest at last, mistress of my heart, true, constant, and fair, nowhere canst thou rest more safely than in these arms that now receive thee and receive thee before when fortune permitted me to call thee mine." In these words, Lucinda looked up at Cardenio. At first, beginning to recognize him by his voice, and then satisfying herself by her eyes that it was he, and hardly knowing what she did, and heedless of all consideration of decorum, she flung her arms around his neck and, pressing her face close to his, said, "Yes, my dear lord, you are the true master of this your slave, even though at first fate interposed again, and fresh dangers threatened this life that hangs on yours." A strange sight was this for Don Fernando and those that stood around, filled with surprise at an incident so unlooked for. Dorothea fancied that Don Fernando changed colour and looked as though he meant to take vengeance on Cardenio, for she observed him put his hand to his sword, and the instant the idea struck her, with wonderful quickness she clasped him round the knees and kissing them and holding him so as to prevent his moving. She said, while her tears continued to flow, "What is it thou wouldst do, my only refuge, in this unforeseen event? 
Thou hast thy wife in thy feet, and she whom thou wouldst have for thy wife is in the arms of her husband. Reflect whether it will be right for thee, whether it will be possible for thee to undo what heaven has done, or whether it will be becoming in thee to seek to raise her to be thy mate, who in spite of every obstacle, and strong in the truth and constancy, is before thy eyes, bathing with the tears of love the face and bosom of her lawful husband. For God's sake, I entreat of thee, for thine own I implore of thee, let not this open manifestation rouse thy anger, but rather so calm it as to allow these two lovers to live in peace and quiet without any interference from thee so long as heaven permits them. And in so doing, thou wilt prove the generosity of thy lofty noble spirit, and the world shall see that with thee reason has more influence than passion. All the time Dorothea was speaking, Cadenio, though he held Lucinda in his arms, never took his eyes off Don Fernando, determined, if he saw him making any hostile movement, to try and defend himself and resist as best he could all who might assail him, though it should cost him his life. But now Don Fernando's friends, as well as the curate and barber, who had been present all the while, not forgetting the worthy central panzer, ran forward and gathered round Don Fernando, entreating him, to have regard for the tears of Dorothea, and not suffer her reasonable hopes to be disappointed, since, as they firmly believed, what she said was but the truth, and bidding him observe that it was not, as it might seem, by accident, but by a special disposition of providence that they had all met in a place where no one could have expected a meeting, and the curate bade him remember that only death could part the cinder from Cadenia that even if some sword were to separate them, they would think their death most happy, and that in a case that admitted of no remedy, his wisest course was, by conquering and putting a constraint upon himself, to show a generous mind, and of his own accord suffer these two to enjoy the happiness heaven had granted him. He bade him too, turn his eyes upon the beauty of Dorothea, and he would see that few, if any, could equal much less excel her, while to that beauty should be added her modesty and the surpassing love she bore. But besides all this, he reminded him that if he prided himself on being a gentleman and a Christian, he could not do otherwise than keep his plighted word, and that in doing so, he would obey God and meet the approval of all sensible people, who know and recognize it to be the privilege of beauty, even in one of humble birth, provided virtue accompanied, to be able to raise itself to the level of any rank, without any slur upon him, places it upon an equality with himself, and furthermore that when the potent sway of passion asserts itself, so long as there be no mixture of sin in it, he is not to be blamed who gives way to it. To be brief, they added to these such other forceful arguments that Don Fernando's manly heart, being after all nourished by noble blood, was touched and yielded to the truth which, even had he wished it, he could not gainsay, and he showed his submission acceptance of the good advice that has been offered to him, by stooping down and embracing Dorothea, saying to her, Rise, dear lady, it is not right that what I hold in my heart should be kneeling at my feet, and if until now I have shown no sign of what I owe, it may have been by heaven's decree in order that, seeing the constancy with which you love me, I may learn to value you as you deserve. What I entreat of you, is that you reproach me not with my transgression and grievous wrongdoing, for the same cause and force that drove me to make you mine impelled me to struggle against being yours, and to prove this, turn and look at the eyes of the now happy Lithinga, and you will see in them an excuse for all my errors, 
and that she has found and gained this object of her desires, and I have found in you what satisfies all my wishes. May she live in peace and contentment as many happy years with her companion. As on my knees I pray heaven to allow me to live with my Dorothy, and with these words he once more embraced her and pressed his face to hers with so much tenderness that he had to take great heat to keep his tears from completing the proof of his love and repentance in the sight of all. Not so Lucinda, Cardenio, and almost all the others, for they shed so many tears, some in their own happiness, some at that of the others, that one would have supposed a heavy calamity had fallen upon them all. Even Sancho Panza was weeping, though afterwards he said he only wept because he saw that Dorothea was not as he fancied the Queen Micomicona, of whom he expected such great favors. Their wonder, as well as their weeping, lasted some time, and then Cardenio and Lucinda went and fell on their knees before Don Fernando, returning him thanks for the favor he had rendered them in language so grateful that he knew not how to answer them, and raising them up, embraced them with every mark of affection and courtesy. He then asked Dorothea how she had managed to reach a place so far removed from her own home, and she, in a few fitting words, told all that she had previously related to Cardenio, with which Don Fernando and his companions were so delighted that they wished the story had been longer. So charmingly did Dorothea describe her misadventures. When she had finished, Don Fernando recounted what had befallen him in the city after he had found in the thingless bosom the paper in which she declared that she was Cardenio's wife and never could be his. He said he meant to kill her, and would have done so had he not been prevented by her parents, and that he quitted the house full of rage and shame, and resolved to avenge himself when a more convenient opportunity should offer. The next day, he learned that the thinder had disappeared from her father's house. And that no one could tell whither she had gone. Finally, at the end of some months, he ascertained that she was in convent and meant to remain there for the rest of her life, if she were not to share it with Cardenio. And as soon as he had learned this, taking these three gentlemen as his companions, he arrived at the place where she was, but avoided speaking to her, fearing that if it were known he was there, stricter precautions would be taken in the convent. And watching the time when the porter's lodge was open, he left two to guard the gate, and he and the other entered the convent in quest of Lucinda, whom they found in the cloisters in conversation with one of the nuns. And carrying her off without giving her time to resist, they reached the place with her where they provided themselves with what they required for taking her away. All which they were able to do in complete safety, as the convent was in the country at a considerable distance from the city. He added that when the thinder found herself in his power, she lost all consciousness, and after returning to herself, did nothing but weep and sigh without speaking a word. And thus, in silence and tears, they reached that inn, which for him was reaching heaven, where all the mischances of earth are over and at an end. 唔该晒 Costa， 好，咁呢一节咧就其实某程度上系解释咗点解之前要讲呢一个插曲啦，三角形嘅插曲。因为咧呈现喺当桥一亭面前嘅咧，又系另一个三角恋嘅插曲。呢个系嗰个不干嚟噶啦，现实中嘅三角恋啊，四角恋啊 ，sorry。卡丁牛啦 ，Dorothea 啦 ，Don Fernando 啦，同埋 Lucinda 啦，四角恋。咁某程度上系即系为咗读者准备咗呢个四角恋嘅结局，就系、是、唔想重蹈翻之前。书中所提到呢个三角恋嘅复切，将呢个四角恋咧，俾个好嘅收尾佢
俾讀者一個開心嘅高興。莫名其妙咧，呢、這個 Don Fernando 咧聽到多一啲人嘅表白啦，心情表白咁講啦，咁咧就融化咗啦。唔單止自己唔會再去阻止個 Daniel 同個 Cinder 啦，仲要叫佢手下都唔好再阻止呢啲關係。老套啲講咧，就係、是、有情終成眷屬。嚟睇下呢一節有冇字同大家分享？係冇嘅，嗱呢一節冇咩新字。咁我哋下一節再睇下，當橋一停又會搭上呢個甜音嘅新嘅旅途。下一節再同大家讀嚟聽，拜拜。If you like this video, make sure to comment, like, share, and subscribe to Costa. See you next Friday.